We're going to start a six-week series. This series actually is going to be in between. It's kind of a, a little bit of a hiccup, if you want to call it that, between our Acts series, and then we're going to study the book of John. Actually, we're working our backwards through the whole Bible, Acts, and then John, then we'll probably go back down to Luke. That's a joke. But anyway, um, we are going to take a little bit of time in the book of Acts, looking at six, very quickly, six qualities from the book of Acts that I want to just pause on and to let those things sink in before we jump into our John series. You did the whole book of Acts. I wasn't here for the end of it. I listened to some of it. I told the other pastoral staff, I've got about two or three years worth, worth of ripping on you guys for how much they took me to task. But I want to spend the next six weeks looking at some, some issues, some character issues that uh, I want to land on our hearts. So you can put away your notebooks, you put away your pencils, you're not going to learn anything new in the next six weeks. I pretty much promise you that. What I'm aiming for in this series is that we'll take these character qualities from Acts that are cerebral and they'll become part of your heart. That's what we're aiming at. So this week, I want to look at something from Acts chapter 2. And these are a little bit subjective. These may not be the ones from Acts that really grabbed you. These are the ones that have grabbed me along my journey through Acts and ones that really hit me. Acts chapter 2, remember what happens in Acts chapter 2? The, the, the Spirit of God comes down on the disciples, the 120 of them, and uh, they start to speak in tongues and the whole crowd is going, what's going on? These guys are speaking in other languages and the languages that they're speaking are languages that they would have understood. Like, if you knew Swedish, they're speaking Swedish to you, declaring God's praises. And this is just freaky. And so as a result, Peter gets up to preach to this whole big crowd that's gathered now to witness this incredible event, and he gives them this sermon. He gives them this sermon about who Jesus really is. And some of the people who were there in that crowd were some of the people who just 50 days previous had been yelling, crucify him, crucify him to Christ. And so Peter gives this sermon. I'm going to pick up at the very end of it. Acts chapter 2. You don't need to flip there because I'm only going to spend a second there. Acts chapter 2, verses 32 to 37. This is Peter speaking and he says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Ooh, ow, mm. That hurts. He tells this crowd, you crucified him. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, the character quality I want to focus on is the reaction of the crowd. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What I want to look at this week is that simple thing. If you want to ignite your spiritual life, seems to me that's a great place to start. Are you cut to the heart? Are you cut to the heart? These people were, I love that phrase, it was something like slicing them. 
What should we do? Tell us what to do. We'll do anything. I want to look at a, another person in Scripture this morning that would do anything. If you got your Bibles with you or you can grab that insert or anything, open up to Luke chapter 7 starting in verse 36. There's a typo in the, in the, in the uh, insert. It should say Luke 7 starting in verse 36. And I want to look at how Jesus responds to people who are cut to the heart versus people who are just going through the motions. Because you're going to see both of these people in this account. We're just going to walk our way through this account. And really this whole thing is to prepare us for the Lord's table this morning. Starting in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So just, I want you to get this picture in your mind. This is right in the middle of the, of the book of Luke, chapter 7. Jesus has already been doing amazing things. People are intrigued by this Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He's doing miracles. He's speaking like people don't normally speak. Only people who go through, you know, seminary or trained rabbi school speak like that. And Jesus isn't, hasn't gone through that, and yet he's speaking like this. Who is this Jesus? And the Pharisee... Pharisee was a religious ruler of the day. He invites this Jesus to his house to have dinner with him. Now, it's probably at least three possibilities why he would do that. One is, he was already a fan of Jesus. Go Jesus. I want to have you in my place. I want to hang out with you. I want to get to know you better. Another possibility is that he had a bunch of questions. Man, you are doing miracles. You're speaking like this. Who are you? Third possibility would be he brought him there just waiting for some opportunity to trap him, to mix him in his words and, and just be able to deny everything that he'd seen in the miracles and in the way he spoke. So it's one of those. It's a, maybe there's other options, but for sure at least those. Now, let me give you a little history of what happens in a, in a home in, 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 in uh, the Middle East at that time. When you went to a home at that time for dinner, they would greet you at the door with a kiss. I think a, a great tradition. We should, we should, you know, if your grandmother does it and she's got a hairy upper lip, that's maybe not a good thing. But, isn't that a Veggie Tales thing about that? Or whatever. Anyway, um, the, but you, should, you get a kiss at the door. And then they would anoint your head with oil. I don't know if they were bald or they were the sunburn or what, but they would anoint your head with oil. To me, that doesn't really appeal. I don't know if I'd want somebody like dousing oil on me, but it was a thing of honor in those days. And then because they wore sandals, and I wore sandals a lot this summer, your feet just get kind of dry and crusty and all that. I made the mistake of wearing sandals one day coaching Little League with that dirt, and it was just like, oh man, caked on there. And that's what their feet would have looked like. They came in and they washed their feet. That's what you always did to an honored guest. Those three things. At least those three things. Wash their feet, give them a kiss, and anoint their head with oil. That's what would happen to an honored guest. Okay, let's take, take a look what happens. They would meet sometimes inside and sometimes outside during this dinner. The plot thickens here. Verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now just put yourself in this picture now. Here you're at this house, 
And this woman comes in and says she's a, 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 who had lived a sinful life. Most scholars believe that she was a prostitute. That that's a, that's a, a way of saying, or at least a petty thief. Or she was known through, she was the, the town sinful woman. Everybody knew her. She finds out that Jesus is here and she goes there. And history, what it's really interesting, uh, even though these Pharisees and religious rulers were kind of snobs, they would allow poor people to come and to witness them having banquets. They weren't to come near, but they could listen. So it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a weird thing that, a, that she would have wandered either into the house or if they had it outside, that she would have been there. But she definitely breaks she breaks the culture barrier by coming up to Jesus. In fact, she gets so close to him that she, her, her, she's sobbing and her tears are wetting his feet. Now, let's stop and think about that for a second. How, where do you have to be in order for your tears to wet someone's feet? Anyone? You've got to be right next to him, right? Unless you really can cry. But, you know, you've you got to, I mean, this lady was a mess. And she was wetting Jesus' feet. Where is she, though? Anybody? She's what? She's behind him. She doesn't even have the nerve to face him forward. She's right behind him. She's leaned up against his feet. She's sobbing. I mean, she's just a snotty, sobbing mess behind Jesus. And she realized, oh my goodness, I've made a mess of his feet. So she takes her hair and she's wiping his feet. Now, stop for a second. What would cause... A woman who is a known, perhaps thief, perhaps prostitute in the area. What would cause a woman like that to come to a meeting of the rabbis? She comes to a, a clergy ministerial meeting. That's what she's doing. She's crashing a dinner. Not only does she crash this religious meeting, she gets right next to Jesus and she sobs at his feet. She didn't say a word. She just sobs at his feet. What would cause that? Desperation. She's completely desperate. She's desperate for the forgiveness of God. And she came to Jesus not in a secret way. She came very publicly. She made a fool of herself. She came up to Jesus and made a fool of herself. She was frantic for forgiveness. Stan and I uh, and the boys, uh, I'm trying to think who else from Hope went. A few years back, we went to a Dads and Lads, which is uh, out at Camp Lebanon. And I'm trying to, maybe you could tell me who this was, Stan. One of the guys told a story that I've never forgotten. It's a story of how he, he loved to swim. And he was up at, uh, I think it was up uh, at Lutzen, or one of those where they have the, the indoor pool, and then they have the little gate, and then they have the outdoor pool. You know, and you, 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 you dive in on the indoor and you can go through the little, the little open gate there and it's underwater and then you come out to the outdoor pool. You, you guys know what I'm talking about where you have that? And, and he, was, he was doing that. He did that all week long. And, he, and um, so it was the last day of the week that he was up there and it was the middle of the night, probably like, you know, 10, 10 11 o'clock at night. And he dove into the pool and he saw the gate while he was underwater and he, he decided, I'm going to go as far as I can then make this glorious come up and see all the stars and everything. And so he went up, went down like this, and he got just about as far as his breath would go, and he came up and his head hit the cover. They'd covered the pool with a hard cover.
to keep it warm. It was like the middle of, of you know, tending towards fall. He is way out now. He's way out in the middle of the second pool. He's out of breath. And he can't, there's no, it's, it's, this thing is up against the water. He says, at that moment, I knew what frantic means, what it means to be completely frantic. I'm thinking, how can you even be speaking right now? Because I don't know about you, but drowning is one of those things that gives me like the ultra heebie-jeebies. Anybody like drowning? Uh, you know, it, it just, it's like, ha, ah, ha, 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 And then to have that feeling where I've completely, when he went as far as he could, because he loved to get out there and do this thing, come out and see the stars, and it was completely dark, his head hit the roof. He says, I turned back, and I could see the, in, way in the, probably the distance, I don't know if it's completely all the way to that, where that exit is, but he could see the gate there, and he could see a little light, and he had no breath left. But he said, I have to go towards the light. And he said, I was frantic for that light. I just, swimming as hard as I could to get back to that light. And he said, I cannot believe that I made it, but I made it. Take that feeling that you have, even in your gut right now, of what that, do you know what that was? Is that Rob, the pastor from, you don't remember either. Yeah, they all kind of merged together for me too. It's a sign of being over 40. The, uh, take that feeling that you have in your gut right now of what that would feel like to be in that position and that's what that woman felt like. She said, I've taken all my life, I've dove this way, I've lived a certain way, and I've realized that there's a cover on top of this pool. And there is no way out except for that little tiny gate. And that gate is Jesus. And I'm frantically going to come back to Jesus. No matter what it takes, I'm going to come to him. Let's take a look at how the Pharisee responds to that. When the Pharisee, his name is Simon. We're going to see that in just a minute. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Now, aha, now we know the guy's agenda, right? If this guy's a fan of Jesus, the first thing he'd do is get rid of the woman. He'd say, no, no, get, get away, get away, get away, get away. You're, you're, you're messing up Jesus' feet. Goodness sakes, you got all your boogers all over him. Get away! He's not. He's looking for a way to trap Jesus because now he says, he thinks it, Simon says, or at least he thinks, Simon says, uh, uh, he, uh, if this guy really were a prophet, he'd understand that this lady is a sinner. Now, if you were to ask Simon, being a good Bible scholar that he was, if you were to ask him whether or not he was a sinner, he would say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I have broken the, the law of God, of course. But I'm certainly not like this lady. No way am I like this lady. Do you see how one action, one action actually reveals two people's hearts? Her heart and his heart is revealed. Jesus, look at, look at uh, verse 40 then. I love this. Verse 40. Jesus answered him. Stop right there for a second. Did Simon ask a question? No. Did Simon even think a question? No. But Jesus is going to answer him anyway. When Jesus answers you when you don't ask a question, you're a dead man. Okay? <laughs> he says, if this man were, were a prophet, he'd know if this woman was a sinner. Jesus answered him. He says, Simon, I'm going to tell you something. Simon, the two-faced guy that he says, says, tell me, teacher. And then he says this. Two men, oh, you're dead. 
When Jesus starts telling a story, you're done. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. You don't need to worry about how much a denarii is in today's dollars, but just know that one was a day's wages. Basically, one person owed around two, day, two uh, uh, years worth of, wa of wages, and the other person owed about two months worth of wages, roughly. And neither had the money to pay it back. So, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, Simon's probably hung up on the story where they both owe this tremendous amount of money, and he says, so, therefore, as a result, the guy just cancels the debt. Simon's like, ah, ah, ah. How does, what do you mean just cancels the debt? Who's going to love more? The one who has two months, which is still a tremendous amount, or the one who has two years, which is, is virtually unpayable. You can't pay that back. You have answered correctly. Verse 44. Then he turns toward the woman and says to Simon, that is no small thing. He's no longer looking at Simon. He turns around, he's looking at the woman, and he's speaking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Everything that Simon didn't do, you're supposed to do to an honored guest, this woman does. In her frantic, desperate way, she does it. She makes Jesus the honored guest. As she makes a fool of herself, she makes Jesus the honored self. Those who are desperate, those who are desperate and frantic for forgiveness, get it. Those who think they're deserving, miss it. Miss forgiveness. How does Jesus respond to those who are desperate for forgiveness? Verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you? How many words did the woman say? El Zippo. She didn't say a single word. And yet Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Faith is not only a system of doctrinal statements that you can check the box to and say, I agree with it. Faith is having that desperation of saying, I am in the middle of the pool here, Jesus. I need out, and the only way out is your gate. I'm frantic for you. That's, Jesus acknowledged that as her only thing about faith, that she needs forgiveness, and the only one can give it to her is her. I want to ask you a question this morning as you come to the table. As you come to this table, we're going to come to this table in just a minute with uh, some, a time of worship and communion.
Are you coming to this table as Simon, someone who's religious, got to figure it out. Yeah, sure, I'm a sinner a little bit. Certainly not like that person. Are you coming to this table like the woman? Where you just want to slobber all over it. The Lord is calling you to be desperate for him. Two weeks ago today, some of you may know this, may not. On June 28th, while we were up at a cabin in, in Michigan, uh, I threw out my back. I have a trick back. And uh, on June, June 28th, I, I kicked it out. It got progressively worse, all the way to the point where I was taking some classes down at Trinity Seminary um, on, let's see, the beach, about July 21st or so, Thursday. It got to the point where I was just sitting there the whole last class of the day. It's an eight-hour class. I'm sitting there in almost tears, um, trying to hold back, just screaming out loud how much pain this is. And um, I couldn't sleep hardly at all. I was basically on my back when I tried to get up to go to the bathroom. Fortunately, we have a bathroom next to our bedroom. As I tried to step, sit up and stand up, I would immediately hit the floor and have to crawl to the bathroom. I would go to the bathroom, sometimes shaking so hard that just to be in a sitting or standing position just to go to the bathroom, that it would take me about an hour just to stop shaking. <laughs> you don't want this. Uh, and I've been here before, so... That was Friday. The last time that this happened, it took 22 days until I could get it fixed with surgery. That was Friday. Uh, it was Thursday when I came home, and then Friday all day after I went to the doctor, and Saturday all day like that. I had hardly slept. Sunday I had, uh, Saturday night I had the worst night I had. I could not get comfortable. I, could, I just could not find a position. I didn't sleep hardly at all. So I upped, I, I was taking Vicodin every four hours, and I was taking, oh man, you name it, I was popping it, trying to get some relief. And uh, Sunday morning, everybody went to church, and I really had to go to the restroom, which happens. You know, you still have to go. And I went over to the, the bathroom, and I really had to, to uh, uh, pee, I guess is the best way of just saying this. Uh, <laughs> but I got there, and because of the pain, everything just t I couldn't go. And I crawled back over little ways away from the bathroom, from the tile, and got on the carpet of the next room next to it. And I laid there in utter despair. I'm talking despair. I don't know if I've ever had this amount of despair in my life. I, I honestly thought I was going to die. <laughs> I know it seems crazy. You're kind of drugged up, and you, you, know, you haven't slept really good in a couple days. I, this is it. My family's, at, my family's at church. The phone is downstairs. Going downstairs is death anyway. I can't make it downstairs. I, I can't call anyone. I'm starting to think calling 911. I'm lying here in pain. I can't go to the bathroom. I can't do anything. I'm in complete despair. And the thoughts of me, of, of my of impending death, thinking I can't sleep and I can't pee. So I'm going to die. <laughs> Finally, I got up the courage and I got back to bed. And then, and then that kind of was funny later. It's like, I'm not going to die. I just have to go to the bathroom. So I later was able to do that. After church, Chris and Claudia came over. Chris has been there. Chris knows about this kind of back pain. And uh, they prayed over me. They prayed over me. Now, they prayed for healing. They prayed for me to remain courageous, for God to work his work in my life. 
And I can't tell you how much at that moment is exactly what I needed. Not so much the pain. The pain was, I mean, it, you were there. You saw me wince. But I was in despair. I thought this was never going away. I don't know how this works. I ain't no doctor. But Carol was able to get me an appointment on Monday morning to see my back specialist who originally had put me out to August 8th. You know, and now it's June 30, or July 31st, so it's nine more days of this. And I got up Monday morning and I sat up and I stood up and I thought, huh, it doesn't hurt that bad. And I was able to, to function and I was able to be up that day and I've been up since. I don't know, I don't know where that comes from. I, it could be a combination of things. Steroids, Vicodin, prayer. You, I don't care. You put it in a bottle. I don't care how it works. <laughs> the Lord has brought to my mind that that amount of desperation that I had to say, oh, Lord. I mean, I envied anyone. I'd watch TV and I'd see people who were standing and I'd go, don't complain about anything. You can stand. <laughs> That's the kind of desperation the Lord wants as you approach this table. That's the kind of desperation he wants for you as you approach him. He wants you to come to his feet, hug him, and say, Jesus, I need you. The Lord came together with his disciples, and he celebrated the Passover meal, which was a common thing in those days. And they had bread and cup at the, at the table, and they, they all were all aware of what the Passover was. But he did something different. He took the bread, and before they ate it, it was a flat piece of bread. We use a, a bigger loaf, but he broke it in half. And he said, this is my body, and it's broken for you. He took the cup, and he said, this is my blood, and it will be shed for you. I've got a friend named Neil. And ever since Neil told me this 13 years ago, it's made a difference the way I take communion every time. We were taking communion together. He leaned over to me and he had a cup and we were praying together and he said, Trike, without this, I'm toast. People of hope, without this, without this, you are toast. You don't have any, you don't have any way possible of having a right relationship with, with God. None. The bread and the cup are a free gift. This morning, when the, when the uh, band begins to play after I pray and thank the Lord for this meal, at any time during, during that worship time, you can come forward down here. I believe there's a couple tables upstairs, correct? Two tables, uh, Nicole? Two tables upstairs. Uh, you can come down. You can rip off a, a piece of bread, take a cup. You can drink it here. You can go back and have a seat. There'll be people up front here. There'll be people upstairs who would just love to pray with you. If you have something specific that you want them to pray for you, just say, I, this is what I'd like to pray for. Otherwise, just pray a general prayer for me. They would love to pray for you. Some of you may just want to sit up here, and that's fine. This area will be open for you to sit and to pray and maybe just hold the feet of Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need you. This table is open this morning for anyone who's frantic for Jesus. Anyone who wants Jesus to be their sin bearer. Anyone who's a follower of Jesus, this table is open to you. We don't practice closed communion, open communion to anyone who's a follower of Christ this morning. Let me pray and thank the Lord for this meal we're about to partake of.
God, I want to thank you for suffering. I want to thank you for my back injury. I, 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 uh, I never wished that come back upon me, but you know what you're doing. Lord, I, don't, I wish it not to come back. But your word says that your power is made perfect in weakness. And so God, I pray that right now in this room, you do an amazing work and that you give everyone a gift of letting them feel their weakness. Let them feel their sinfulness, God. Let them feel their weakness. Let them feel desperate, God. That's a gift. It's a gift from you so that they know how much they need you and how much you satisfy. Jesus, I praise you that you are the one who after we bubble and, 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 and cry at your feet, you're the one who looks at us and says, your faith has saved you. Well done. So Lord God, I pray for everyone in this room that they would have that sense this morning. They would have that sense just like this woman that they would turn from the things that are idols in their lives. They would turn toward you and hold on to your feet for all they're worth. Lord, I want to thank you for the bread that it signifies your body that you gave up for us willingly. No one takes my life. I give it of my own accord, you said. Lord, we praise you for that. I praise you for the blood. Every drop of blood was purposed and planned by you to be given for us. And it's represented in this cup. Lord, as we, as we celebrate the Lord's table, God, would you just come in our midst, minister to us, Changes from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.